So our content and the content we choose to really embrace from a marketing perspective is is really informed by the big issues that need solving for today. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Lucy Birch. And Lucy is Chief Marketing Communications Officer at Kantar Public. Lucy, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you, delighted to be here. I'm sure the pleasure is all ours. Um, Now, I've just given you the swiftest of introductions there. Um, So for the benefit of everybody that's tuning in that may not already know you, um, if you could just give us a little bit of a background into who you are and some of your sort of motivations when it comes to marketing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm still relatively new at Kantar Public. So I actually joined back last summer. Um, taking on a completely new role um, at a global level for the business. And actually, the requirement for my role came about off the back of our divestment from wider Kantar Group. Um, So we are now a a separate, standalone, independent, global business. Um, In terms of what we do, um, our roots are obviously deep in that sort of Kantar expertise around Um, research, but we focus specifically on research, um, public policy, advisory work, behavioural change, communications, evaluation of public policy, whether it's working or not. Um, So very much in that societal space. And we are a fully purpose-led business, which is hugely exciting for me from a marketing brand and communications perspective. Um, So before I joined Kantar Public, um, I have a background in working in B2B professional services, both at PwC and KPMG, um, but I've also spent time agency side. So working more in the B2C space, um, which was really interesting, um, and working with brands across tech, finance, um, automotive, um, completely different perspective. And hopefully I managed to bring a little bit of that into to what I do in the B2B world. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it's always interesting when people have made that sort of... Um, uh, that that step over the divide from B to C to B to B, and I think given that you've spoke, worked at KPMG, PwC, there, like it's a, a great sort of testing ground in terms of real B to B marketing. Um, now it's it's interesting what you say there in terms of Cantar uh, Public just gone through that divestment. I'm sure there's a lot of change. I'm sure there's a lot of brand strategy which you are probably immersed in at the moment, and that's quite related to what we're going to be talking about today. And the topic of conversation is going to be looking at that relationship between brand, brand strategy, brand identity, and a business's values. And the two really should be very, very closely interlinked. Um, But the provocative truth that I want to start off with and sort of have a discussion around is that too often um, marketers are not given or take the responsibility to actually shape what those values should be 
and it is a very, very rare occurrence where you actually get a marketer who is actually that sort of guardian of those businesses' values and fights for them sort of like going forward. From your perspective, do you think that that is a truth? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I think marketing is very often a bit too far down the value chain. Um, it's been something that I have passionately, you know, tried to address throughout my career. I think one of the things that was so appealing about the, the role that I'm currently in is, firstly, I have a seat on the global board. Um, secondly, the way in which the role was sold to me was that my remit wouldn't just be around marketing and communications. Mm. Um, potentially it's because um, Kantar Public grew up within Kantar Group, which was part of WPP, um, that there was a slightly different view around the, the value that marketing, communications and brand actually brought to the business. Um, but my role on the global board is absolutely within my kind of wheelhouse of marketing, brand and communications. Um, but it's also very much around our reputation, how we show up in the market, but the opportunity for me to influence goes right into the business strategy. So whether that's around, you know, how we ensure that our choice of suppliers aligns to our brand values, how do we ensure that we are making informed choices around the type of work that we do for clients, and does that enable us to hold true to who we are as an organisation? Um, right through to, you know, re-looking at our whole ESG strategy. Because too many times, I think, marketeers get put in the position where we're asked to... Yeah, we are great storytellers. That's the reason that we're in marketing as, as, as a starting point. But too many times, I think, we, we get asked to stretch what is authentically true um, and that can be really uncomfortable for us but I think now what I'm finding is that because marketing really has a seat at the table I can really challenge around some of the things that we might be thinking of doing some of the things that are important from a strategic mm. perspective so actually when it comes to building the the marketing or brand narrative I have real confidence that it's authentically there. And I, I, I'm really interested to pick up in a, in, in a minute, almost like practically, how do you sort of regulate and influence the behaviours of the, the company? How do you influence, um, you know, procurement decisions like you just referred to? But before we get onto that, just sort of talking about um, defining what a business's values should be. Um, from your your experience, but also I think from your sort of the the theory of what you feel what works best, what does marketing's role look like in defining what a business's values should be? So I think marketing's role is to tease out what is already there. You can't mm -hmm. you can't make a business become something that it's just not. Mm -hmm. um, I do, however, think you know and. The, the situation that I'm in is a really interesting one. So I'm currently going through the process of, of looking at our brand. Um, we will be changing our name in the future. That's part of the divestment. That's very normal for an 
organization that divests from one business but still but still a teaser but still that is a teaser you know that you've you've released on the podcast so that's i'm sure people will be eagerly anticipating that definitely not going to be sharing what it is though (laughs) no no don't i won't push you i won't push you (laughs) although happy to come back after after we've done the relaunch and um share a bit more but I, I very much see my my role as having that sort of responsibility to mm. the business to tease out what is most true, what is the expression of who we are today. Because, you know, as as we think about our rebrand, what we're not doing is getting rid of our rich um, and very, very deep heritage. You know, that's mm-hmm. what makes us who we are today and will also inform who we are as an organization going forward into the future. So I, I see the role of marketeers as being almost the facilitators to really get to that core DNA and then find a way of expressing that in a, you know, through, whether that be through words, images, the experience mm. that you create. Um, in a way that feels authentic, but I would also like to think, you know, future-proofed for where we want to go next. It has to be stretchy enough that it feels, okay, this is also something that we can grow into. Absolutely. And I think that I'm I'm interested just to almost talk about this. It sometimes is is a tension because a brand and certainly a brand's values, but brand just more generally, there has to be that authenticity to it. It has to be reflective, as you, I think, said, of the DNA of the organisation. But equally, you spoke about how it needs to be sort of future-proofed and therefore there is almost a little bit of aspirational change which needs to be incorporated within that. From your experience, like how... How much aspiration should brands be putting into that sort of new brand identity, given what you said about making sure that you retain a sort of a sincerity to um, your brand position? So I think the the start, you know, you have to look both externally and internally when you're thinking about how far you can you can sort of Mm. push that spectrum of where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. The thing that I found fascinating since joining Kantar Public is essentially we exist um, to deliver better outcomes for societies, citizens Mm. around the world. And actually, if you look at the way in which our world is changing, the incredible number of different dynamics and factors that are coming in, um, and particularly when you look across you know, generations, what will the, you know, the youngest people in our world today need in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Mm. And essentially public policy is government strategy for changing the world. So our brand needs to reflect those generational shifts that will be coming and ensure that we, we keep pace with that. So I think the starting point was already a very, very big picture. Mm-hmm. Um you know, people genuinely come to work at Cantar Public because they believe deeply in doing work that is going to deliver a positive societal outcome. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think I felt even more responsibility in my role as CMO to really get to the heart of that and nurture what is what is so fundamentally important. But I think you've always got that balance between being able to, to see that big picture, but also working really closely with your internal people and teams, because if you stretch it too far, they can't recognize themselves mm. in it, 
although only some parts of the business will recognise themselves in it. So I think it's about being able to, to develop the narrative over a period of time, which keeps looking ahead but ensures you've always got your arms around the people who may not feel so comfortable with change or, you know, might have you know, need more sort of critical analysis to, to really understand it and make something their own. And I'm always interested when organisations describe themselves as, as purpose driven. And I think in this particular case, I think that there's a real tangible sort of definition around what we mean by purpose driven. But also there are a lot of companies, I think, that say purpose driven. And I think that there is less definition. Mm-hmm. I'm just interested. Um, how does that sort of drive to sort of um, bring about positive change within the world. How does that manifest on a sort of a day-to-day level um, within um, Kantar Public? I mean, the most obvious starting point is the the work that we actually do. Um, So we work right across the public policy agenda. So that typically means that we will work around public health So our teams did a lot of work around the recent um, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, We do a lot of work in the sort of gender equality space, um, Mm -hmm. whether that's looking at um, different groups around the world, how you offset impact, it's a gender disparity in terms of Mm -hmm. poverty, impact of climate change. Um, We do a lot of work around youth, education, access to education, Um, but we really specialise in focusing on how do you reach groups of society who are marginalised, vulnerable, hard to reach. Um, Our teams specialise in those those highly sensitive topics, Mm -hmm. um, whether it involves um, particular societal groups or children, etc. So it, it is literally an expression of the work that we do every day. Um, the other thing that is really important to us as a brand is the unbiased integrity of the evidence that we gather mm-hmm. on behalf of those who need to make really big, important, but highly informed decisions. So we are completely apolitical as an organization um, we are purely focused on working to deliver the best outcomes for citizens mm-hmm. around the world. So because that is so core to who we are and why we exist, every you know, it's an absolute gift for me as a marketeer because anyone around the business has joined because they want to do that type of work. Now, that's not the same in every organisation. Um, There might be parts of an organization which are really focused in this way, but other parts of the organization, you know, may not have the same agenda. And I think, therefore, as a marketeer, it can be much more complex to try and navigate the two parts. I should, however, say that we are we are not a charity. We are not a Mm. not for profit. We are a highly commercial business. Um, we are looking at growth, but our drive for growth is to really ensure that we can do more impactful work around the world. Yeah. So it's a, it is a different starting point, but I, I also realise how lucky I am, in effect, to have such a, a sort of focused, you know, purpose and, and sense of who we are. So I can, I can imagine how I think being so sort of purpose-driven in terms of positive change, that commitment to being evidence-based, 
influences the behavior of the organization. I think it probably influences the identity. Uh, what I'd be interested to understand is how sort of explicitly and how consciously does it inform the way that you communicate as a marketing organization? And you know, how much does that direct your content strategy, for instance? Um, so I would say it completely directs and informs our content strategy. So um, we have uh, a way of thinking about a lot of our content and our data as data philanthropy. So there are a number of big content pieces that, that we commit to delivering um, on a regular basis. So I can highlight two of those. Um, the first is the Reykjavik Index for Leadership, and that's actually a piece of um, data and evidence work that we have been doing since 2018. Uh, we actually launched it at 2019 for the first time at Davos, so the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, this is now the, the leading index measuring around the world perceptions of um, men and women's equal suitability for positions of leadership. Mm-hmm. So this index is something that we provide um, on an open access basis to governments around the world. Um, it gets launched every year at the Reykjavik Global Forum. Um, and the insight is, is really important because when governments, organizations, businesses are starting to look at what changes they need to make for gender equality in the future, and particularly supporting women to positions of leadership. So that's both in terms of getting to leadership positions, but mm-hmm. also staying there and helping the next generation through. Um, this data provides really important benchmarking in terms of where each country is um, and in really interesting insights around. So one of the big takeaways from the last few years is that actually younger people, so people between the ages of 18 and 35, are more prejudiced against women in positions of leadership than older generations, um, which is quite a surprising data point. Absolutely. Um, And not one that I was expecting, but it really challenges us around our own sort of echo chambers and bubbles because the quality of the data and research that we do um, is always to ensure that our evidence is reflective of society as a whole. It enables us to pick up on things that are happening, which may be congruent to our own assumptions or perceptions. Mm. Um, Another piece of work that we've really invested in is around the voice of Ukraine. So if you think about since the um, Russian invasion into Ukraine, um, millions of Ukrainian nationals have now been displaced from their homes. So the importance of really understanding that situation in the the first few months, but actually now it's evolved. We're over a year into the war in Ukraine. And actually the views of displaced Ukrainians from when they first left their home country to now they've potentially been settled in their host countries for a Mm. year plus. Their children might be in schools, they've got employment. 
you know, are they planning to go back to Ukraine eventually? Do they feel more settled now? That data is useful in terms of informing, you know, future interventions, support models, planning for education, etc. So our content and the content we choose to really embrace from a marketing perspective is, is really informed by the big issues that need solving for today. And just just quickly, I think it's always interesting how different organisations use data um, to then sort of support wider sort of campaign activity. And it sounds like there's a real depth, a real richness in terms of the, the stories. How do you activate around that? Um, you know, what, what sort of content pieces um, sort of yeah, springboard from that? Um, so we we always sort of write it up as you know a data led report. Yeah. Um, we we tend to uh, more towards presenting the data and then trusting the audience to to draw a lot of their own conclusions. Um, mm-hmm. Our job is not to force people down one way of thinking or another. Um, we, however, complement that with the opportunity for people to come together and discuss. So the next part of our content strategy is always about convening people with different perspectives um, who can mm-hmm. bring additional insight to, to give the data a real richness. So that might be with um, government organisations, NGOs, uh, uh, business so that sort of uh, public-private perspective is is always really important. Um, but we very much see ourselves as the conveners to, to bring together different perspectives, to collaborate and really understand the problems that we're, we're looking to solve for. I, I think it's always really... Because there's, there's a number of ways that you can use data and content effectively to get your voice out there and some brands it's, it's appropriate to be very very opinion led and that's how you generate the conversation but equally if you are working and I'll use your, your word you just used it as a convener you can very very effectively create conversations and you create create conversations which absolutely are you know have tension in them um, but you don't actually have to be going out on a limb, but because you are the curator of that that conversation, because you're packaging that up, you still get all of the brand effects as a result of doing that. Uh, so it's really interesting to, to hear that. Um, now, I'm just going to bring us back in terms of sort of a penultimate question to one which I promised I would ask earlier. Um, and this is this idea of how you regulate behaviour within the, the organisation. How do you make sure that those values are showing up in all of the actions that are, that are taking place? And you reference things like procurement. Now, from a sort of a CMO perspective, what is that sort of um, level of sort of authority? What is that oversight? What are the particular things that you do on a practical level to make sure that their behaviour of the organisation is consistent with the values? So I think, um, you know, because I, I sit on the global board and there's reputation around the table in terms of the various mm. aspects of our business, I get the opportunity to have insight into big decisions that we're making for the benefit of the business, our people, our clients going forward. Um, And we very much have a culture where, you know, people are expected and welcome to speak up in the moment. So you use the word, how do we regulate? I think it's very Mm. much self-regulation. 
Um, you know, we don't have hard and fast rules that people must comply with. Um, you know, there are obviously critical areas like risk and how we manage and protect data within our organisation, which are very, very clearly defined. But there's a there's a huge level of trust and openness, which I think creates an environment where people can ask questions or speak up on areas which are outside of their immediate remit. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like procurement, you know, visibility over whether we've got the right, whether we're asking the right questions of our suppliers up front. And actually, I think, you know, as much as we are delivering work to our clients, this is about creating not just a, you know, a sort of net zero environment. It's actually about being net positive. So Paul Polman from Unilever wrote this great book around being net positive. And it's about really ensuring that your contribution, your impact on the world around you actually delivers a positive result rather than Mm. just focusing on, you know, as far as possible, do no harm. This is about creating more back into the communities. And I think that impact through your supply chain, your ecosystem, the more that organizations hold each other to account around what's Mm. important, that is the way that will drive change. So we very much see all of the opportunities for us to do that as a business goes far beyond just the work that we deliver to our clients. And I think you talk there about holding one another to account. I know you were talking more at a sort of a, a bigger macro level, but I think it's also um, by the sounds of it, sort of within your leadership team, within the organization, it's holding one another to account. And this is where I feel there is that opportunity for marketing to feel confident in terms mm. of being a voice because they do have sight and represent a lot of different areas of the business. And also fundamentally, they are that representative of the marketplace as well. So they are in a uniquely good position um, to hold other people within the business to account and say, if we've committed to these values, then we need to uphold them because that's going to reflect how people perceive us as a brand. And unless we are making sure we are getting those right perceptions, we're not going to see the business sort of effects that we we want to see. Um, I, I think it's been... I, I've enjoyed how where we've gone with this conversation and we've gone in a couple of different di- directions, but I, I think it's been very, very fascinating nevertheless. Now, before I, I let you, you go, though, I do have to ask you one question, um, which is the house question, so to speak. Um, and that is, when was the last time you saw a piece of marketing, a piece of advertising, a bit of creative that really made it, you feel it in your guts, that moved you on a deep emotional level? Do you know what? I was thinking about that question and it got me to the point where I was almost questioning whether, you know, typical marketing campaigns, as we've traditionally seen them, both in the B2B and B2C space, whether their time has come. Because actually the things that really get me now are ways of telling, you know, really providing insight and challenging me to think around a problem that I see as being important um, Mm -hmm, a different mm -hmm. way. So actually, some of the most powerful things that I have seen recently, if we think about on Instagram and the way that um, organizations like the New York Times, the Washington Post, 
um, even The Guardian in the UK, are really using the sort of carousel functionality or telling stories in a way which gets right to the heart of an issue. They mm-hmm. tell those stories through a human lens, but it is backed up with really clear evidence and data. Um, I would also say things like the Humans of New York series um, yeah. are incredibly powerful. I think the World Economic Forum does a great video series around innovations that are solving problems um, and things mm-hmm. like 60 second documentaries. If you haven't come across that, I highly recommend it. But I think there's something for me around brands and really sharp content that I think yeah. actually that gets my attention more than some of the bigger campaign stuff that can feel a little bit gimmicky and doesn't have the substance that I think people are really looking for at the moment. Yeah. And I mean, I, I agree with you on a personal level in terms of the importance of substance, but also from an indulgent sort of brand perspective, we have this idea of, um, you know, it's, it's all about truth that provokes people to think differently. And I think that having that sort of, whether it's an insight, whether it's a data point, you know, but fundamentally some form of truth um, is so, so integral to effective marketing, which is all about um, changing people's minds, changing people's behaviors. So um, thank you very much for sharing that. And I, I said, thank you very much for the, the wider conversation. I think that there were a number of things which, which stood out to me, but I think probably two things um are one it's that importance of authenticity when you are developing a brand getting that balance of course with being sort of aspirational but it has to be authentic your people who are in your organization have to recognize themselves within it unless you have that authenticity then it will be quite flimsy in terms of how you present that um externally and then the second aspect is what we were sort of talking about at the end, which is that 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 confidence which is needed from marketing and marketing leaders to help represent the market to their organizations and help shape the behavior and uphold those sort of values and standards that that exist. And I think marketing has the opportunity to do that and they just need to find that sort of confidence um, in order to do it. So yeah, Lucy, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very, very much for for joining me on the the podcast. And uh, I will definitely hold you to the second uh, follow-up episode um, when you have launched the new brand and you can release exactly what it's called. So yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. It was a a pleasure catching up. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.